Are you ready today? Man, we're on this Fixer Upper, Fixer Upper series. Get your sermon notes out. You're going to need those. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go over some scripture today and talk about the Fixer Uppers. I was looking into this. There was things that I uh, got into last week and I wanted to add to, and I was getting ready to move on. And, you know, I went through the first 11 verses of this and and I felt like God wanted me to revisit it. So get your Bibles out. Again, your iPods, whatever you use to open the Word. Let's open to Nehemiah chapter 1. Yeah! <laughs> Nehemiah 1. I went through the first 11 verses last week. And like I said, I started to read over it and just you know, kind of build into moving forward in verse 2. And, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, there's some things that I want you to address. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He said, he said I'm, I'm, there's some things I want you to undo. I'm like, like, undo what I said? He said, no, no, undo some thoughts. Because sometimes if we're going to build on to something, you've got to demo something first. And it felt like there was some thoughts and some ways, some ways of looking at things that he wanted me to address specifically to demo those things so that when we build on, we build on in the right place. Building on with the right structures and, and right materials. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to talk about taking on fixer-uppers, and this has been kind of the focus of of the series. And, you know, they say in the show, do you have the guts to take on a fixer-upper? And how many knows? Because if we're going to take on an area of our life, you know, because sometimes uh, something becomes a fixer-upper just because time, uh, damage, or through uh, just neglect, all kinds of things can happen to where an area of our life becomes less than what it's supposed to be. And if we're going to take that on, sometimes it takes courage to address a fixer-upper. Sometimes it takes some some, uh, some assurance from God that he's going to help us through it. So it's not always easy to take on a fixer-upper. So we're just wanting to address what God wants us to do with that and, and follow his principles on it. So Nehemiah's dealing with this. Quick su summary. Remember what happened? Nehemiah's in a far land uh, in Babylon and uh, in Persia, actually in Shushan. And he, he finds out that Jerusalem, he asks about Jerusalem. Hey, how's everybody doing? He says, not good. It's not really good. The people are in distress. They're under great reproach. The walls have been torn down and the gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah's, oh, that's not good. So what does he do? He starts to pray. He starts to weep and cry before God, cry out to him, begins to fast and seek God on what to do. And, and so I'm going to jump in at verse 8. And we want to look at Nehemiah's method for tackling his project, his fixer-upper. And the reason being, because today I want to give you some specifics on how when you are handling a fixer-upper project, whether it's an a, a emotional one, physical one, spiritual one, whatever it is, I believe there's a certain strategy that we need to take, and I'm going to give that to you today. I Hopefully God really speaks to you through it, that we have a pattern that when we're going to go take on a fixer-upper, you're in a situation, you've got something that needs some help, God gives us a blueprint on how to do it. So let's check it out. Here in verse 8, so he starts praying in verses 5 through 7. He's repenting, asking God to forgive him. We went through that last week. But verse 8, he prays this and he says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. He says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded. Here's the first thing we need to remember. When Nehemiah went to tackle his project, the first thing he did was pray. We need to have prayer first. Should be our first option. We got something we're wanting to address, something we want to fix. We need to go to God first. We need to pray first, not worry first. Here's our process usually. We start worrying, thinking, 
talking to other people, somewhere along the line, we eventually, oh, maybe I ought to pray about it. Nehemiah went to God first. This is the strategy. If you want to start a fixer-upper fixer project, number one, you need to start praying. Start praying. In other words, go to the right source. So he, he started to pray. But then don't, don't just pray because here's one of the things that God wanted me to undo. He said, there's a certain way to pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Some people, uh, and again, not, not criticizing, it's just the way I was taught, that you just pray what you want and you hope that's what God wants. That that was the model of prayer that I was taught. Well, you just pray what you think is right, and hopefully that's God's will too, and it'll work out. But it may not be, so good luck. Didn't say good luck, but in essence, the same thing. But God said, no, no, that's not how I want you to pray. Notice what Nehemiah says. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded. Here's the first thing we need to do. Our prayer time should involve us reminding God of his word. We need to pray the word of God, not simply our preferences. Here's what you can write down in your notes there. We need to use God's word as our manuscript for prayer. It's our manuscript. It's our guideline. What do we use to pray? You say, Chad, I want to I pray about this situation. What do I need to do? Number one, you need to find out what the Bible says about your situation. Once you find out what the Bible says, then you start praying those words. You start praying what the word of God is. Remember, I pray the word that you've commanded. So we don't pray our preferences. We don't pray what we want. We pray what he says. This is what prayer is about. I'm reminding God of what he's already said. So now I know what his will is so I can pray in agreement with this will instead of praying and hoping I'm asking for the right thing. I know how frustrating that can be. I'm praying. I'm like, God, I hope you're listening. God, I hope this is right. I'm throwing it up there. And he said, wait a minute, why don't you find out what I've already said and then start praying that back to me? That's how we got to pray. We pray what he said. Because John says, it's very powerful. First John says that we can have this confidence if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we've asked of him. So what do we need to know? We need to pray the will of God. Well, how do I know what the will of God is? The word of God is the will of God. Maybe you're not exactly sure how the word fits into your situation, but if you'll just start looking up scriptures and praying the word, God will reveal his will through his word. He's not asking you to walk through life flipping quarters, drawing straws or whatever else, throwing coins into a wishing well. That's not what he's asking you to do. He's saying, I want you to pray my will. So pray my word. That's what Nehemiah did. He started. Now look at the next part. Here's something else he wanted me to undo. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded, your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Now the word unfaithful is really important. The word unfaithful is a word that just means to act against God, to choose to live in agreement with sin and disagreement with God. And here's the important part we got to understand. Being unfaithful means that I'm choosing. This is not, okay, everyone's going to sin. You know, I, uh, I wasn't aware of that or something. This is, I'm walking in agreement with sin and disagreement with God. And here's why that's important for us to understand. He says, if you are unfaithful, if you are living in agreement with sin, you are not living in agreement with God. There's no parallel lanes. Well, I'm, I'm loving God and I'm sinning. <laughs> 
You may love God in your mind, but when we're choosing to live in sin, again, I'm not talking about I sinned and and an act of sin. I'm talking about I know I'm not supposed to be doing this and I'm doing it anyway. That's what he's saying, unfaithful. You are willfully choosing sin. Well, when we partner with sin, we disassociate with God. And here's why that's important. Because when we partner with sin, look what happens. If you are unfaithful. So again, he's not talking about I committed an act of sin. I am willfully sinning. He said, if you are unfaithful, look what happens. I will scatter you among the nations. Now that word scatter means to dash into pieces and to disperse. This is a term that is a military term. It's like the enemies are scattered. It means that the enemy was totally defeated and whatever little remnants were left are scattered. So the Bible verse comes to mind, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. So when God arises in my situation, my enemies will be dashed to pieces and the remnants will be dispersed and everywhere. That's so powerful. The Bible says that the enemy will come before you one way but flee before you seven ways. When we let God arise in our situation, the enemy will be scattered. So that's the terminology. He said, if you are unfaithful, you will be crushed and dispersed. So I looked at that and I'm like, wait a minute. So who does the scattering? Who does the scattering? It says there plainly in your English translation, it says, I will scatter you among the nations. So I began to ask, Lord, are you scattering? He says, well, Understand the difference and you can begin to study the, the word, study the Hebrew and understand a little bit more. And I'm not saying I have full understanding of it, but here's what I came up with. He said, uh, uh, here's what I, I've processed in my mind. Is it that God was scattering or is it that because God gives us the freedom to choose to partner with sin, he allows us to be scattered because he allows us to choose? Because is God doing the scattering or is sin doing the scattering? See, when we look at it from that context, I realize that God's not scattering me. He's allowing me to choose who I want to partner with. And when you choose to partner, when I choose to partner with sin, it will get its own results. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God's not killing people because they sinned. Sin does it on its own. You see that sin is its own punishment. So in the context of free will, God says, here, I'll let you do what you want, but if you choose to partner with sin, you will be scattered. Not because I'm mad at you, because I gave you the choice. Let me, let me verify that with some scriptures to you, just in case you're wondering. So look at, look at verse 9. He goes on and says, remember I pray, or sorry, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now notice who's the scatterer and who's the gatherer. Look in, in John 10 Verse 11, this is the wolf versus the shepherd. The gather means to grasp and pull into one location. And here's what it says in John 10. Jesus talking, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Who does the scattering, the wolf or the shepherd? It's the wolf. Is Jesus going to be represented by the shepherd or the wolf? 
He's going to be the shepherd. So the shepherd is the one who gathers the flock, protects the flock. The wolf is the one who scatters. So when we put that in context now in, in Nehemiah, we understand that God's not the one scattering people. Sin is the one that's scattering people. The enemy is the one that's scattering people. Let me give you another example. Matthew 12, 30. He who is, this is Jesus talking again. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If you're with God, he's gathering. If you're against God, going to be scattered. And that's the context so we can understand who God is. Because some people have this, this belief system built up that God's scattering them and mad at them and punishing them. Because they've been unfaithful. So God says, you've been unfaithful? Bam, take that. Take that hardship. Take that issue. So he says, wait a minute. Listen, that's not God's job. God's a gatherer. He's not a scatterer. He's gathering. So now when I put that into context of what's going on, now we can rebuild on a good foundation. So let's look at verse 9. You put this in your notes here. Sin had scattered them, but God had given them a blueprint to be gathered again. Sin had scattered the Israelites, but God had given them a blueprint to be gathered. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give a blueprint on how to build. You need something rebuilt? We're going to go to this blueprint. Are you ready? We're going to see it in verse 9. I'm going to give you three points that we need to address if we're gonna rebuild any area of our life, our relationship with God, relationship with people, our spirituality, physical, emotional, we got a blueprint. We're gonna go by this. Here's what he says in verse nine. He hid it in this verse, but we can see it. Verse, first one, he says, but if you return to me, return to me. Number one, that's about relationship. If you return to me, the first thing, if we're gonna rebuild, we have to return to him. He wants relationship. Come on, somebody. He wants relationship in our life. This is about who you build with. The first step is about the who. Who are you going to build with? Who's going to be your partner? Who's going to, who's going to partner with you? God wants relationship in your life. He's not, he's not just looking for rules. He's wanting relationships. So the first part is return to me. That word return means to turn back to the starting point. It's like a start over, a do over, a redo. I remember playing video games when I was a kid, and, and when they, you know, you'd be playing, and you're trying to get to this certain level, you know, I'm doing like this because my Atari joystick, that's what happened when you play that. Some of you don't know about Atari joysticks and stuff, but, you know, you had the button here, and you're holding it, and you're moving this joystick around back and forth like that, and I'm on pitfall, and I'm trying to get my record on pitfall. Some of you don't understand about pitfall, but that's okay. And you had, you know, if you only had so many lives, and so if you got killed early, reset. It's like a reset. I got killed too early. You jumped too far and you didn't land right on the crocodile's head. You got on his mouth and you died or you jumped in the quicksand, whatever it was. See, you, you'd hit reset. How many has ever needed a redo or a restart in an area of your life? Come on. We all needed it. In volleyball, they call it a do-over like this. So they put two thumbs up. Sometimes we need a, a do-over. Look at your neighbor and say, do-over. Sometimes you just need a, a restart. You need, you need to start over again. You need to make a new start, a fresh start. So he says, number one, return to me. Return to me. It's about relationship. Return to who he is. Not just what God will do for you, but you're to him as a person. Here's what Revelation 2, 4 says. Jesus had this problem with this church. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Some people want to follow rules but they forget to fall in love. 
If you fall in love, you will keep some rules. But you got to love God. You got to love God. You got to have relationship with Him. He said, I want you to return to me. Return to me. Return to who I am. And you put this there in your notes Jesus needs to be your general contractor on your rebuilding project. He needs to be your general contractor. He needs to be the one calling the shots. He needs to be the one building it. We're not wanting to build it on our own means or on our own, own ideas or own desires because the Bible says in Psalm 127 that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So unless he's the general on the project, if he's, if I'm, unless I'm building my life according to his structure, I'm building in vain. That's what he's telling us. So we got to have the right who. It's about relationship. Relationship. That's the first part. Return to me. Let's do the second one. But if you return to me and keep my commandments, keep my commandments, keep my commandments. This is about materials. Point one was about right relationship. Number two is about the right materials. This is what you build with. Number one's about who you build with. Number two's about what you build with. It's about the right materials, getting the right products. We're not building with what we think. We're not building with how we feel. We're not building with what everybody else says. He says, keep my commandments. How many of those materials are very important? So you can buy, you know, on uh, Chip and Joanna on their, on their show, they can, they can buy all the best materials and you can have the best materials money can buy. And you can have them shipped to your house, put them right there in your front yard and say, yes, sir, I got the best materials money could buy. I spared no expense. They're all right there. They're awesome. Look at those materials. These wonderful materials. But if those materials are still sitting there six months from now, how many knows nobody's going to be <laughs> too excited about your materials because they're going to waste? You, you got to have the right materials. You got to have, have the right material pr- and, and working with that. So, so now it looks, we're building on this verse. Uh, first John says this. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, liar, pants on fire. And the truth is not in him. I added that last part if you didn't see that in your Bible. But I know that sounds strong, right? Anytime you say, well, he's a liar, But anyone who doesn't keep my commandments, they say they know me, but they don't keep my commandments. They're a liar. That's kind of strong, right? Nobody wants to be called a liar. But how many knows that sometimes just because something's strong doesn't mean it's not true? Some things we need to hear is a little strong. Oh, ouch. But it's true. It's true. We always say sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the truth hurts. Gets all right up in your business. You're like, oh, back off a little bit. Is it true? Maybe. But here's what he says. <laughs> he says, you got to make sure. Here's how we're going to say we know him. If we say we know him and keep his commandments. See, because if we knew him, if we really knew him, we would want to keep his commandments. Here's the part I don't think we realize sometimes. We say, well, if you knew me, because some people say, well, I know God, but but they're just living their own way and doing their own thing and keeping their own commandments. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, but I know God. God says, no, you don't know me. Because if you knew me, you would want to keep my commandments. Here's the thing we got to understand about God. God's not just imposing rules and regulations to hold you in bondage. He says, if you really knew me, 
You would want to do what I tell you to do because everything I do is for your good. Even if it's hard, it's for your good. If you knew me, you would keep my commandments. Not because you have to, but because you knew the one who was giving them to you. You knew the love that it was coming from. Oh, I know him. That's tough, man. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but man, I know how much you love me, so I will do it. Why? Because I know that you love me so much that you never asked me to do anything that was not for my good. If we know him, we'll keep his commandments. And that's why he was saying, you got you to know him. Jesus said this. You remember the, the story about the woman at the well? Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, if you knew the gift of God and the one who give it to you, the one who's standing here, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. He said, if you knew who I was, I know you've had all these husbands and you're desperate and all this stuff, but if you knew me, you would ask for a drink from me. And this is what I know. Once we really know God, we want to serve God. When you're in a position where I don't know if I want to serve God, it's because you don't know him. You don't know him. You might know church. A lot of people know church, but just because you know church doesn't mean you know God. If you really know God, you will lay down your life for him because it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but you will do it because you know him. You're like, man, once I got to know him and know his heart for me, why would I serve anybody else? This is what the disciples said when Jesus said to them, are you going to leave me too? They said, where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Once you know him, even when it's tough, you're like, mm, I ain't going nowhere because ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Man, if you know me, if you know me. See, we, one of the things I think about with the Fixer Upper and Joanna, you know, when she, she designs these houses, she designs the interior. And I was thinking about this. If you knew him, you would want to keep his commandments. When Joanna does that, when, she, when they redesign a house, they think about what that person likes. She doesn't go in and just say, I'm going to do this and do it what I want. She finds out who they are, and then she designs the house around them. God's the same way with you. He designed you. He knows what you like even better than you know what you like. So if you will trust him with your life, he has a plan and a design for your life that when you walk into that design, you will be like, whoa, this is perfect. He says, I know. I designed you. I made you. This is why we want to trust God even when we can't see it. Even when we don't understand it, even when we can't hear it, we want to trust him because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows that they're going to pull back those blinds and you're going to be like, whoa, that's a perfect design. He knows you. He knows you. So if you know him, you'll keep his commandments. That way it's not just about obligation. I want to keep his rules. I want to keep his rules. I want to do it because he knows me and he knows what's best. All right, let's go on out of that one. So we, we got to make sure and get the right materials. Look at number three. If you return to me, relationship, keep my commandments, right materials, and do them. Everybody say, do them. Do them. This is methods. Relationship, materials, methods. Write that down, methods. This is about how you build, how you build. Do them. We've got the right materials, but what am I going to do with the materials that I have? 
If I never use the materials that God has given me, then I'm going to waste it. I've got, this is the application stage. This is the application. Look what Matthew uh, 7 says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Sounds like weather right now. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Check it out. Both of them, the circumstances were the same. The circumstances were the exact same. The only differences are the method on how they built. God's not promising me that rains aren't going to come, that floods aren't going to come, winds aren't going to come. He's just telling me if I will build the right way using his right materials and use his methods, when they come, I will stand. I'm not going to fall. Why? Because I'm built on the rock of Jesus Christ. When I built on him, it doesn't mean I'm going to have a perfect life. It doesn't mean I'm never going to face adversity because the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. But it's just telling me when these things happen, the reason I'm not going to fall is because of the methods I've used. I'm built on the rock. This is why I want to fall into this practice of making sure we're building on his system and, and how we apply it because it'd be the same as applying this way. Think about it this way. This is the application step. He says, the wise man hears and does. The foolish man hears and doesn't do. So they both hear. What's the difference? Somebody actually does something with it is the difference. It's like all of you, everybody's going to hear the same message. You can sit in church and hear sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, after sermon, after sermon, after sermon. Get a lot of material, throwing a lot of material your way, a lot of material. That's sign language for material. <laughs> Throwing on material. But the only difference, the only way it's going to make a difference in my life is when I apply it. Amen. And I make it mine. And I say, I'm going to do something with it. You know, I've been, you know sermon, we, we talk about note takers or world changers. I, I get my sermon notes. I, I take, I fill them out. I get all my sermon notes. Then I take them home. And then I begin to apply the material that God gave me because I realized God was giving me something to equip me for this week of my life. And I'm going to apply that material onto my project. Amen. See, some are going to do it that way. And some will be like, that's ah, a nice sermon. And they go home and don't apply it. They don't use the material that God gave them. And then what's going to happen? The rain's going to come. The flood's going to come. And whether we fall or stand is not dependent upon the materials. It's dependent upon our application of the materials. Because some, what can happen is if, if I just hear but I don't do, then when the winds and the, and the rain come and the floods come and I have a great fall, then if, if I'm not careful, I can turn around and blame God for what he caused to happen in my life when he said, hey, I knew all this was coming and I've been giving you materials for weeks trying to prepare you for it, but you didn't do anything with it. Come on, somebody. See, we got to apply it. That's the third part is we got to do something just like Nike. We got to just do it. Because you, you can sit around. Nehemiah could hear all this about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, I hate it. You know, I hate it for Jerusalem. I, I, I'm sorry for Jerusalem. At some point, you got to go do something. You got to do it. You got to apply. And this is what, what this stage is. So the process of building involves these three things, the right relationships, using the right materials, 
and the right methods, right methods. But now the rest of this verse is really encouraging because you say, wait a minute, Chad, I'm already in a bad spot. I've really made a mess of things. No matter how far we've been scattered, God can gather us back again. Here's what I think is so encouraging about God. No matter how far we get away, God can gather us back. Look what it says here in the rest of verse 9. This is, it says, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there. That word cast out means to be pushed out, to be driven out. And it says then to the farthest part just means the extremity, the end, the edge of something. So he's given us this picture of people that have been driven out, been pushed out to the extreme. The enemy through sin wants to push you out and drive you out to the farthest edge away from God as far as you can get. Here's what sin wants to do. Just push you, push you, push you out to the edge. Where all of a sudden you get to a place you say, Chad, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the edge. I'm on my last Nerve, I, I can't take it. I'm as far out as I can go. I, this is the extreme. I've, I've went too far. I've gone so far, I can't get back now. Chad, I've, I've done so much that I, I can't even go back to church. I, I can't even approach God. I'm so ashamed of where I am. He says, even if, and be encouraged, even if sin has bulldozed you to the farthest part of the heavens, he says, yet I will gather them from there. You know what the Bible says about that? He says, even if you make your bed in hell, I can find you. He says, even if you get so far away from me that you're like, there's no way I can come back. He says, I will gather you. I can gather you from there. So now here's the part we've got to understand. Look what he wants to do. He wants to gather them from there. Where's there? Wherever it is. Whatever situation you're in. Where's your there? Well, Chad, I'm in a pretty hopeless state right now. He wants to gather you from there. Well, Chad, I'm pretty discouraged right now. He wants to gather you from there. Well, Chad, I'm pretty, I'm pretty frustrated right now. I've, I've really screwed up and I'm, I'm caught in a lot of sin. God wants to gather you from there. I've made some bad choices, Chad, and, and uh, now I don't know how to get around. God wants to gather you from there. Where's your there? Wherever your there is, he wants to gather you from there. He says, I want to gather you from there. You name it. You name your there and he will be there. It's like he says, you name it, I'll be there. Where's there? Yes, I'll be there. But look what he says. He doesn't just want to gather you from there, but look what he says. Next part, this is so awesome. And bring them to the place which I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He doesn't just want to gather us from there, but he wants to bring them to a new place, to a new place. So it's like God doesn't want you to just stop doing bad things. He doesn't want to just get you out of a bad situation and have you dangling in no man's land. He wants to take you out of a bad situation and place you in a good situation where you can flourish. God doesn't say just get out of something. He says get into something. When people come to Christ, the most important thing they need to understand is not stop doing the wrong things. You need to start doing the right things. When you get in a right place, all of a sudden you won't be in the wrong place. You can't be in two places at once. So if you'll just commit to being in the right place, all of a sudden you will not find yourself in the wrong place. And that's where God wants to do. He wants to put you in a new place. Maybe it's new friends. Maybe it's new connections. Maybe it's a new job. I don't know what it is, but God wants to bring you to a new place 
What kind of place? He said, the place where I dwell, where I hang out. Jesus said, hey, come over to my place. You know, somebody invites you over to their place, they're welcoming you into their house. And this is what God's saying. He said, I want, I want you to come over to my place. Even if you've been driven to the farthest part of heaven, I want to bring you close. Here's what Ephesians says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm thankful this morning that when I was far off, I was brought near by the blood of Jesus. I've been brought near. This is a picture I have of God now in my heart. I said, I was far off, but now he wants to bring me to his place, into his dwelling where he hangs out. And the Father's desire is to gather us to him. He he paid the price for us. He wants to gather us together. So now let's look at at verse uh, uh, 10. It says, "Now now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Notice what he says. The, it got, he's talking to God. Nehemiah says, now these are your servants and your people. Here's what it means. Here's what you need to make sure and write down. You need to know that God cares more about your situation than you do. He told God, he said, these are your people and your servants, God. This is your deal. So now we need to understand whatever you're facing today, God cares more about it than you do. You don't have to be in a situation and wonder, I wonder if God could even cares at all about what I'm going through. He cares. He cares. He cares more than I do, more than you do. That's what he's saying. These are your people. And look what else it says. And you have, whom you have redeemed, you have redeemed. That means to buy back, to rescue from loss. The price has to be paid. There was a price that was paid for our freedom and Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. There's a price that was paid that will allow you and I to rebuild ruins in our life, to have fixer-uppers. That price has been paid. It's like when uh, Chip and Joanna's clients, they will buy beat-up, run-down houses. I was watching uh, some yesterday, kind of sermon prep. So I was watching some episodes. And, and while I'm watching, they had this, had this run-down house that had been abandoned for 15 years. I mean, it was nasty. Animals in there, possum down underneath the house squirrels in there, you name it. And so when you're getting there, I'm like, man, this is a mess. How are they going to fix this up? You know, they did. After they got done, I'm like, I'd like to move in. But somebody had to pay the price when it was beat down and run down because they saw something that nobody else saw. They buy a mess because they believe in what it can become. They have vision. They see something. People, that kind of vision, I love it. They're like, oh, they get excited. I see possums and squirrels and spiders, and I'm like, ugh. They're like, man, look at this. This is amazing. You do this and this and this and this. You can put this here, put that there. They get excited. Why? Because they see something, and they will buy a mess to turn it into a message. Can I encourage you? that while we were beat down and in ruins, God saw something in you and he bought you when you were worthless, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, when you were full of mess and possums and, and squirrels. He said, I'll buy them. I'll buy them because I see what they can become. I see something on the inside of them. I know everybody else doesn't see it yet, but I see something. I see if we can fix this up and move that and rearrange that. Man, look what they could become. It would be awesome. 
but uh, man, the price is pretty high. The price is pretty high because my sin was over my head. And God said, you know what? I will give my best, my son, for their worst. He bought my junk with the price of his son's life. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. That's what he said, you've been redeemed. I've been bought back. I've been purchased. I've been bought. The Bible says that we were not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Been purchased. See, we got to make sure we understand that once we've been purchased, because Psalm 107 says this, that let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered, there's our word, gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Has anybody ever been gathered from the farthest part, from the north, the south, east and west? Has anybody ever seen God redeem them and bring them out of a bad place in their life? Can I get an amen? Well, if he has, then the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed, you need to say so. You say, hey, I've been redeemed. Sometimes you got to say so. When the enemy tells you, you're not going to get past this. You're not going to go any further. You're not going to progress. You're not going to be able to real rebuild this. You're not going to be able to do this. Look at all this stuff. It's a mess. You got to say so. So you don't know who my general contractor is. You don't know who I'm working with. I'm partnering with the master and he's got vision. He said, I can be somebody. He says, I can make something out of it. He said that he can partner with me and he can turn my mess into a message. So I'm going to partner with him and I'm going to say, so every time the devil tells me it'll never work. So it's never going to turn around for you. It's too far gone. You've been pushed to the farthest ends. You're to the extreme. Uh -uh. He can still gather you. So, you can't be gathered. So, we got to put that into practice. But look, let me finish this last verse. Oh, Lord, I pray, please. Oh, Lord, I pray you give me strength to carry on. Because I know what it means. Sorry, there's a song lyric I threw in there. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear. That was a crash landing for that little funny. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and let your servant prosper this day. Everybody say, this day. That's going to be powerful right here. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That word prosper, look at the word prosper. The word prosper just means to push forward, to make progress. Some people have a problem with the word prosper get all upset about prosperity. I'm telling you, without any shame, without any uh, blinking of an eye, God wants you to prosper. He absolutely wants you to prosper because the word prosper means to push forward and make progress. Prosper doesn't mean you will have lots of money. That's not what it means. Seems you will make progress and you push forward. So here's what I'm asking you. Is there anybody here today that you said this day, he said, I will, that I will prosper this day. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere on your project. You got to start somewhere on your fixer upper. And I'm just asking who is ready to prosper this day, to start pushing forward and make progress, make progress, not get in results today, make progress. I mean, no, a fixer upper doesn't happen overnight. This isn't, I dream a genie. It doesn't happen like that. 
Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But see, it's make progress. So you're committing today. Three things. Number one, I'm going to return to him. Return to him. Jesus, it's all about you. You got to say that. You got to say that in your heart. If you're going to be successful in this fixer-upper, whether it's a mentality, an addiction, a mindset, a relationship, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you, but if you're going to tackle that project, number one, you got to return to him, Jesus. Forget everything else. I need a personal relationship with him. I have to love him. Number two, I got to keep his commandments. And if I know him, then I want to keep his commandments. I want to do what he tells me to do because I know that he has a design for my life that is the best. I trust his design. You know, they look at you sometimes, you know, they walk in, hey, say, hey, this is going to look like this, we're going to do this. And I'm, some, I'm like, ah, I don't see it. We're going to take out this wall and we're going to make it expand this. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. I don't think I'm going to love it. Sometimes that's the way we are with God. God says, listen, if you'll trust me, I'll make it where you'll love it. But I don't love it right now. I know, but if you'll trust me, I'll make it where you will. But we can't see it. Well, I don't see how you can fix this. I don't see how, it's too far gone. We're out here at the extreme. He said, ah, stay with me, I'll gather. I'll show you, I'll show you how it's gonna come together. Number three, but we, ought to, we actually gotta do something. Talk's cheap. I can tell, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I've been meaning to. I've been meaning to get to that. I, you know, I'm a, tomorrow, tomorrow. Pharaoh told Moses, get rid of the frogs tomorrow. Tomorrow, really? Let's do it today. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. So I want to pray for us. Whatever your fixer up your project is right now, I just want you to commit it to God. Number that you're going to do those three steps. Number one, you're going to return to him. Make it about him. Trust him. Maybe don't trust me. Don't trust anybody else, but go to him. Don't lose or leave your first love. Return to me, he says. He didn't say return to church. I want you to be in church. You need to be in church. But he says return to me, relationship. Number two, keep my commandments. Materials, build on the right materials. Don't build on how you feel. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Build on what I say. Don't build on what you think. Build on what I say. The right materials. Number three, do them. The methods, how you build. Put it to action. Father, I just praise you for the opportunity to partner with you for our fixer upper projects. Holy Spirit, I ask you just to do what no man can do and touch the hearts of people. The Lord, you watch over your word and confirm it with signs following right now. God, they don't remember what I say, but they remember what you spoke into their heart. God, I pray that they will return to you in that area of their life. They will keep your commandments in that area and they will do it. They will do it. Thank you for strength. Thank you for vision. Thank you for patience to see the project through to the end. Trust him with it now. Come on, give him your project. Lay it at his feet and say, God, I'm willing to let you rebuild my thought life. God, I'm willing to let you rebuild 
my relationship. I'm willing to let you rebuild my way of thinking, my addiction. I'm willing to let you rebuild that. God, come. I'm willing to let you rebuild my finances. I'm willing to let you rebuild my health. Just trust him with it. Hand it over to him. Let him be the general contractor. And let him build it. Let him show you how to rebuild.